Hey listeners, before we get started, I wanted to share with you a brand new podcast that you might be interested in. It's the new Braves Dugout Podcast. This podcast is about all things Atlanta Braves baseball. They talk about roster moves, potential trades, game recaps. Now this may all seem cliche for a sports podcast, but they also include a special segment each week where they talk about controversial topics using only stats and logic and no bias. Controversial topics such as which Braves player should or should not be in the Hall of Fame, why your favorite player may not be as valuable as you think they are, or how certain players you may not like deserve more love. It's the new Braves Dugout Podcast. You can currently catch this podcast. See what I did there? Catch this podcast on Spotify or on Anchor.fm. It's sure to be a hit. If shark tornadoes and velociraptor pastors were not enough for you, straight from the world of sci-fi comes a new terror in the Wuzzleverse. Kangaroosters. Kanga from Winnie the Pooh and Foghorn Leghorn got together for a one-night stand, and their debauchery will cause the downfall of mankind. Kangaroosters. It has a pouch! Kangaroosters. It has a cow! Kangaroosters. It has strong legs and a little bigger than a long neck beer bottle. Kangaroosters. It can kick you against a wall and pick you senseless in mere seconds. Kangaroosters. It's pulling a grenade out of its pouch. Kangaroosters. Although the origins of the character are children's books and television shows, the series is geared for adults and librarians. Children are not encouraged to watch. Parents, warn your children about the dangers of crossbreeding animals with natural disasters, pastors, or chicken masters. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above Average Show Show! everybody and welcome to another episode of the above average show show and today we actually have our first sequel so this is going to be a great fun new episode because we have a returning guest of chris marks chris how are you today i'm doing great joe thanks for having me back it's gonna be a good time oh this is gonna be great i am so glad you came back because we have a lot to cover because you've done so much stuff. <laughs> so we've got a lot of information to go over. And we also missed one of the main questions that I ask most of our guests. What do we miss? How'd you get started in the film industry? Well, it all started when I was six months old. No, no, we're not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did it get started for me? Um, well, I grew up in South Florida. And uh, for as long as I can remember, I always loved watching movies and watching TV shows. And, uh, you know, I was always fascinated by that. And, um, you know, I had, like most kids, I had a lot of toys and action figures. And I would uh, play out stories and, and like, episodic things every time I was playing my toys. Like, if I was playing my toys, you know, all afternoon and then I had to go, you know, I, I went to go eat dinner with the family. And I came back, I would start right back into the storyline where I left off very episodically. So it was kind of like always in my brain. And I, I never really had that much exposure to the arts or to theater because my family just wasn't like that. And then, 
it wasn't until like the last two years of high school that I finally started to discover that, you know, you know, places, schools that I could, uh, take classes in. And, um, and, uh, long story short, I went to Palm Beach Atlantic University. It was a pretty small school over in West Palm Beach. Great school though. And they had an excellent, uh, theater, de theater department. And, uh, my professors were great and, uh, it just kind of went from there. So I started out in theater and, um, you know, I did theater in college for four years, obviously. I had the good fortune of doing a couple of professional musicals during the summers. And uh, after I graduated, I continued to pursue theater as much as I could. And slowly but surely over time, I transitioned over to film and television and commercials. And the rest is history. Awesome. And you had mentioned musicals, and I know that you love musicals. I do. What are, I'm not going to make you rank them all, but what are a couple of your favorite musicals that you love? Well, I'm very biased towards the musicals that I was cast in, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> some of my all-time favorites would definitely be like Les Miserables, all-time classic. Uh, you know, nice. Wicked has always been a favorite of mine. Um, I, really enjoy, I really enjoy Shrek the musical. That's a fun one. Uh, that would be a lot of fun to be part of that someday. Uh, there's just so many great ones to choose from. It's, uh, you know, and me me personally, I have done six musicals. The very first one I ever did was Les Miserables. That was a professional one. I was cast in the ensemble, and I was also uh, Javert's understudy for anyone who's familiar with the show. Nice. Great experience. Great, great way to get my feet wet in that world. I've also done The Fantastics. I did uh, South Pacific twice, one in college, one professionally. Oh, wow. I did Man of La Mancha, and I did uh, Side by Side by Sondheim. The four-year period that I was, like, bouncing back and forth from college plays and musicals to uh, professionals, you know, whenever I had spare time, I think I did, I think I did, like, 15 or 16 plays and musicals. So, yeah, it was pretty busy. And then going from the plays and musicals into film, one of the projects that we didn't get to talk about that we wanted to last time but ran out of time is Burn Notice. You've got to work on Burn Notice. How was that? Yeah, Burn Notice was one of the very first big projects that I ever booked in the uh, film world. I had done like a couple of, you know, low budget um, short films and like a couple of commercials here and there, nothing too major. But Burn Notice was like one of the very first big ones that I did. It was a, you know, very popular show. It had been on for like four or five seasons by the time I started auditioning. It was so frustrating for me because when season five came around, the casting director, Lori Wyman, who I love to death, she's an amazing casting director in Miami, Florida. I had auditioned, gotten called back for 14 different episodes in season five. I had callbacks for every single one of them, and seven of those I was put on first refusal, which for those who don't know, first refusal means wow. first refusal means that they've narrowed it down to like you and maybe one or two other actors for the role, and then you know, it's up to the directors and producers to figure out who fits the role the best. And, you know, all these times I, I went out for it and it's like I never got it. And it was just, you know, for some people they can get frustrated and give up. But it's like it just made me more and more hungry. It's like I am not going to they are not going to finish season five without me. <laughs> so especially when you get so close all those times you get you get right there 
Yeah, so many times I was so close and it was very frustrating. And uh, the funny thing was the episode that I finally booked, these directors who uh, I auditioned for on a previous Burn Notice episode, they came back and they immediately told the casting director, it's like, hey, that that guy, Chris Marks, bring him back. We want him to read for this role specifically because they they liked what they saw the last time. And I came in and I read. And uh, long story short, I finally booked that one. And this character was the biggest one that I that I had auditioned for yet for Burn Notice, so it worked out really good. My character was uh, Oscar Markov, the the Russian spy. Oh wow! So and yeah, I got to work on set for uh, three days. Got to work with the main main actor Jeffrey Donovan, and I got to work with one of my all time heroes, Bruce Campbell. Yay! I, I love Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I, I was I've been a fan of his ever since I was a little kid. So getting to work with him was kind of like a miniature dream come true, <laughs> and. Uh, and the fact that I was trying to kill him most of the episode made it even more fun. <laughs> I don't know if I would consider that fun, but... <laughs> well, uh, let, let me tell you a funny story why it made it more fun, because um, I don't want to spoil too much, but basically I was a Russian spy uh, who, was very, who was also a sniper, and uh, Bruce Campbell's character was trying to protect this girl, and I was trying to kill the girl, so Bruce got caught in the crossfire, obviously. Uh, when I got to set my first day, uh, I had seen Bruce at breakfast, and I saw him in the makeup trailer, but I never really had an opportunity to talk to the guy and introduce myself because we're, everything's just going 100 miles an hour. Uh, we finally get on set, and there's a, there's a scene in the episode where um, I got my sniper rifle, and I'm shooting at uh, Bruce and the girl, and they dive behind a car. Now, when we're filming this, we, we do all that, and the director yells, cut. No. Anybody who, who has heard of Bruce Campbell, you know, knows that he's got a sense of humor. After the, the director yelled cut, he jumped up from behind the car, stuck both middle fingers in the air and shouted at me, take this, you bad guy. <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious. And quite literally take after take after take after take, like three or four takes after the director yelled cut you know, he would flip me the bird. And I thought it was hysterical. So finally, I'm like, okay, Brucey, I'm going to get back at you. So I got my rifle, and I have him in the crosshairs. And after the director yells cut, I don't take him out of my crosshairs. <laughs> Eventually, he notices. And next thing I see through the crosshairs of my sniper rifle is a 53-year-old man, well-established actor, shaking his butt at me <laughs> in broad daylight, on the set of a major TV show. You cannot make this up. And that was that was a moment where I was like, okay, everything I've ever heard about this guy is absolutely true. He's, you know, he's very professional, but he's a goofball. And uh, it's like, who shakes their butt at somebody that's pointing a, a sniper rifle at them? You know, only Bruce Campbell. I finally got a break and I got to go down in the green room and he's sitting on his chair messing on his uh, iPad. And I tell him, before you flip me off again, at least let me introduce myself. Hi, I'm Chris Marks. <laughs> <laughs> And he was very cool, very nice guy. We chatted a little bit, and we took a couple pictures together, and uh, and it was just a great time. And uh, you know, got to shoot, uh, got to shoot a gun, uh, shooting blanks, obviously, and got to have some fun on that set for three days. And it was a great way to get my feet wet in the real professional acting world because that was a big job, big paycheck, good stuff all around. And it was so gratifying too because I had worked so hard to get on the show, all the auditions, all the callbacks, all the first refusals, all the, you know, sorry, close, but no cigar kind of feel. And then finally I book it and I get a great character like this. So 
And you had mentioned Florida a couple of times, and you also worked on another show that takes place in Florida called The Glades. Yeah, Glades was actually the first TV show I ever booked. Uh, fortunately, I was able to book four TV shows in South Florida before they lost their tax incentives, so I was able to snatch up the good ones before they were gone. But The Glades was the very first one. It was very similar to like NCIS or CSI Miami or something like that, where it's like detectives trying to solve murders and stuff, but the Glades had their own uh, fun little spin with it. To this day, you know, I I did the Glades back in 2011. I did Burn Notice in 2011 too, you know, and to this day, I still have those two projects on my demo reel nine years later because it's good material and specifically with the Glades because... Like everybody who's ever seen my demo reel, they always mention like, oh, that, you know, they mentioned that my character from the Glades is their favorite. Why? Because me, a six foot one, 230 pound muscle head guy, well, who do I play in the Glades? I play a dorky Boy Scout leader. <laughs> no one saw that coming. <laughs> At least you're not typecast. <laughs> You got some versatility there. I try to show versatility. I get typecast as like a cop or a detective or a villain pretty often, but I, I will, as long as I can, I'll keep the glades on there just to show people, hey, I can be a dorky Boy Scout if you want me to. <laughs> it was so funny because like Burn Notice, like I told you, I, I went out for, I tried, uh, I auditioned and call, had callbacks for like 14 different episodes. Glades, I, I got it on the second try. Go figure. Wow. Go that's incredible that's very incredible it just goes to show like when the right role comes it, and and you're the right person for the role it just you know you can get it on the first try you can get it on the 20th try who knows you know and then on your way to becoming a star you also worked on another show called star yes i did uh that was one of my more recent projects uh, i moved to atlanta georgia about five years ago and because uh, you know like i said florida was losing its tax incentives and Atlanta was just exploding in the film industry. It still is. Not right now due to the pandemic, but, you know, the last 10, 15 years it was blowing up. And I booked Star here in Atlanta. For those who don't know, that's a uh, that's a TV show starring Queen Latifah and a few other big-name actors. And basically I got cast as a police officer, and a couple of the main characters were driving drunk, and I had to uh, pull them over and uh, make sure everything was okay. So uh, that was just a day player role, so... You know, I think I was only on set for like seven or eight hours. It was a quick job, but still fun. Oh, wow. Still fun nonetheless. Anytime you can have a short day like that, it's like, oh, oh, okay, bye. But <laughs> you sure you don't need me for anything else? Because like, as you know, it's like some most more often than not, you're on set for 12, 15, sometimes even 20 hours. It can be quite crazy. But, you know, on Star, they were very quick, very organized, and they got the shots that they needed me for, and, and that was all she wrote. But yeah, that was a good one because you see me all dashing and dapper in my uniform. <laughs> the man in uniform, you know. <laughs> oh yes, very handsome, very debonair. <laughs> you could almost consider that one of your hidden assets, which is another show that you worked on. Oh, you're just the master of puns today, aren't you? <laughs> I'm trying to work my segues in and trying to get better at that. <laughs> you're masterful at it, my good friend, masterful indeed. So tell us a little bit about working on Hidden Assets and what that was like. Hidden Assets, uh, we filmed that, I think it was like 2012, 2013. It was 2013, actually. That was I was still in South Florida at the time, and um, 
that was uh, that was one of my first. Actually, that was my very first uh, lead role in a feature film, and uh, it wasn't a huge budget project. I think uh, the budget was like 100k, maybe a little more, something like that. And um, I, originally, I auditioned for um, the lead character's husband. And then after they saw me read for that role, they were like, no, 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 he, he, he should audition for this other role, which was a character named Riker. Riker was like the main villain of the episode. And um, that was like, that was one of those times where, you know, it was a small budget. You know, we were getting paid, but we weren't getting paid like a tremendous amount of money. But the cast and crew, we were all working together for about two or three weeks. And the cast and crew, we were like family, man. It was just we all clicked. We all, you know, worked together very well. We all respected and loved each other, and we just had a tremendous time working on that. And uh, most of the film that we shot in one location, we were able to rent out this uh, huge warehouse, and we were able to use that for a lot of different shots. And it made audio a pain in the ass because the building had a terrible echo. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we tried to soundproof it as best we could, and. Uh, the lead actress, uh, Jacqueline Journey, uh, she was also the writer, producer, and director of this film. Talk about a multi-talented person. Dear Lord, you know, she, her hands were full every stinking day. She was the lead actress, the, you know, director, writer, and producer. And, uh, you know, because most of the scenes are me and her. And, you know, we have a lot of dialogue together. We beat each other up a lot. You know, both of us had bruises on our arms and on our backs because of all the craziness that we did to each other. Yeah, we we uh, we definitely had some good times on that. And uh, Jackie Journey, like I, she hasn't done any movies since then. But she, uh, let me give you, let me kind of like give you a rundown of all the things that she's done since we uh, completed this movie. She wrote a book called "The Divas in the Details," and uh, that book is you know very successful. It's on the shelves right now. You can check it out. Uh, she also did. She was the host of a web series called passport to the palm beaches and uh, basically she was you know those uh, like on the travel channel those shows that like they they go to this uh, area and they kind of like show you all the cool touristy spots all the things you need to check out give you a little history background yeah and basically she was the host of this and this was all about like west palm beach the palm beaches all the beautiful things all the historical things and she was the host of like five or six episodes of, of that and yeah so she she's an entrepreneur and she keeps busy so I have nothing but love and respect for her. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and we will be right back with more Chris Marks. It's been decades since our hero saved the child and helped restore peace to a far, far away galaxy. He's now since found a place he can settle down and relax with his adventure buddy, now known as the Adolescent. As the Mandalorian eases into retirement in Florida, he becomes known as... The Manda Floridian. Hello, maintenance. My dishwasher is broken. I don't know what's wrong with it. That's why I'm calling you. It keeps wanting to self-destruct. Initiating self-destruct. No! No, not self-destruct! My dishwasher wants to self-destruct. Can you help me? Initiating self-destruct. No! No self-destruct! See? I think it was refurbished with an old IG-88 part or something. Need to find child. 
No, no child finding. Just need you to wash the dishes. Initiating self-destruct. No, no self-destruct. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what's wrong with it. What do you mean? You're maintenance. I have spoken. 700 credits, please. Dude, a really weird tan line you will get if that helmet you keep on. This is the way. Ah, this is the way. Welcome back, everybody. We are still here with Chris Marks, and we had just finished talking about how he had worked on some Florida projects, including Burn Notice and The Glades and Hidden Assets. And now we're going to talk about a commercial that you worked on down in Florida with Iron Man Robert Downey Jr. for HTC. Tell us a little bit about what it was like working on that commercial and what you did on that project. I didn't even, uh, basically that just kind of fell into my lap. Um, one of the crew members who I'd worked on on Burn Notice and the Glades, his name is uh, Mario Xavier, a very good friend of mine. You know Mario, too. Mario's an amazing guy. He's one of those uh, people, he's got a hand in just about every project that yeah, happens in, in the Southeast and anywhere, I suppose. But uh, Mario called me out of the blue, and uh, he asked me, it's like, hey, I need some more uh, PAs to to work on this uh commercial with Robert Downey Jr. Are you interested? I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Long story short, I was able to get off of uh, work from my regular job at the time. And I was able to, you know, we shot the commercial for four days and sure enough, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, was the main character of this commercial and it was a big budget commercial, man. They spent millions and millions of dollars and, uh, you know, they had helicopters in this thing. They had big green screens. They had this humongous tower that they built out of storage containers. And they had all, they decorated it. And it was just, they had so much stuff going on in this commercial. The coolest thing was because my buddy Mario was the uh, second assistant director. Anytime that they needed a PA to help out with something related to Robert, you know, he's like, hey, Chris, go on over there because he knew I was a big fan. <laughs> so I was like, hey, we need somebody to hold an umbrella for Robert Downey Jr. while we're in the while we're on the beach. Chris, come on over. Hey, we need someone to help out Robert Downey Jr. with this. Chris, come on over. And I was like, thank you, Mario. <laughs> but yeah, we uh, that was a blast because, you know, a lot of people are asking me, what's he like? What's he like? You know, did you talk to him? It's like, yeah, I talked to him for like three hours. I was holding an umbrella for the guy all day. <laughs> He's a cool guy, very sarcastic sense of humor, lots of fun. What point in his career was this? Was this like before Iron Man, just after Iron Man? They, uh, Iron Man 3 had just come out in theaters, so obviously he was hot as a firecracker as far as um, his career was concerned. So, In fact, Mario actually called me while I was in the theater watching Iron Man 3, so I thought it was very ironic. <laughs> It's like I'm watching Robert Downey Jr. on the big screen, and here I am getting an opportunity to work with the guy. Cool. Rock and roll. That's awesome. That's like grabbing the bull by the horns right there. And speaking of grabbing the bull by the horns, you worked on a commercial with a guy that had a bull head 
Um, it's very interesting commercial to watch, <laughs> which we will post on our social media so you can take a look at it. But tell us a little bit about what it was like working on that commercial. I was auditioning for this uh, commercial for Bank United, a bank uh, that's in Florida. I'm not sure uh, how many other states they're in. They said that they were going to have a new mascot called the BS Bowl, in which this bowl, you know, he's trying to get you to come to his bank, and he's just talking a lot of BS. Nothing that comes out of his mouth is is the truth. And uh, the cool thing about it, uh, they, they booked me and they booked a handful of other South Florida actors. And the funny thing was, shortly after we booked it, we found out that they weren't going to shoot this in South Florida. They were actually going to shoot this in uh, Uruguay, South America. Oh, wow. So we had to get, you know, they had to make sure everybody had their passports ready to go. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this was my, this was my first ever job outside of the u.s so you know they took care of the flights they took care of the hotel they paid us a little per diem so that we could eat lunch breakfast and dinner uh while we were in uruguay and uh and it was a great experience you know we got there uh the first day we were just you know we got into our hotels we did all the paperwork they got us all set up day two they shot my commercial with the bowl first I think they shot like a total of like six or seven commercials uh, with all of us. Uh, I was only part of one. And they shot me with a with the bowl first thing in the morning. So I was done for the day at like three or four in the afternoon. We had an early morning shoot. And then after that, I was totally free. They, they let me go. And uh, my the third day, my flight wasn't until like eight o'clock that night. So I had the whole day to explore downtown Uruguay and, and do the tourist thing and have some fun. So it kind of felt like a paid vacation. It was great. But yeah, but the uh, the bowl was very interesting because the guy that was in the suit, he was so small. He was like, he was probably like five, six, five, five, and he was very skinny. So with the bowl, they had to put on shoulder pads underneath the suit and the bull head was enormous. And it was very impressive. It, the, the animatronics for the bull head was, was interesting. The actor inside had no control over the facial expressions, they had two guys behind the camera with remote controls operating it. It was just very interesting to watch them coordinate that. And then after working with a guy that's five foot six, you went on to another commercial with another guy that, I don't know, he's probably taller than six foot five, I think. He's, he's like a, at least a head taller than you. Um, Shaquille O'Neal, you got to work with Shaq for a little bit. I did. This was after I moved to Georgia. I was able to work with Shaquille O'Neal, and he's actually seven foot one, I believe. It, he's wow. a full. He's a full foot taller than me. I got pictures with him on Facebook, and he makes me look like a child. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I was able to. Basically, what happened was um, ESPN and uh, and Turner Studios they do all these funny videos with Shaq, and May the Fourth was starting was coming up soon, and they wanted to do a funny video with Shaq that had to do with Star Wars for you know, May the 4th be with you holiday. And they found out that I worked for a company that did these uh, Star Wars Jedi things. And uh, they said, hey, can you have can you have one of your people come over and teach some of our NBA stars how to be a Jedi and whatnot? And so they chose me. And all I knew was that I was going to be doing Jedi lessons for some NBA Hall of Famers. I had no clue who it was. And then, and then I got the text message, um, uh, you're going to be working with Shaq. And I was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, he's like my favorite of all time. He's, you know, you know, cause like not only is Shaq a huge NBA hall of famer, he's in everything. He's in movies, he's in TV shows, he's in commercials. He's, he owns restaurants all over Atlanta. He's everywhere, man. He, he's such a goofball. And, you know, I did the commercial with him and 
He's exactly what people said he was. He is a seven-foot-tall giant, but he's a nine-year-old trapped in that body. <laughs> they all told me up front, it's like, uh, he's like, now, just to let you know, it's like, we have we have this script, but Shaq, he, he doesn't like to stick to the script very much. He likes to do things all on his own, so we always have to be very flexible because he likes to improvise, so you got to be good with that. And I, and I was like, I did improv comedy in, in college for uh, three and a half years. I'm good. You know, I'm good at improv and snappy comebacks. So we did. We shot everything that we were supposed to do, and of course, Shaq went off script, and we just kind of ran with it, and it worked out pretty good. But then after we were done shooting, uh, Shaq comes over to me, and he's like, "I know how we should finish this. We should shoot a. Uh, we should do a shot of you and me having a lightsaber battle, and then you hit me in the butt." <laughs> and I'm like, "Really? You want to do this?" He's like, "Yeah, it'll be funny." And so I was like, uh, he, he tells the crew what he wants to do. And he's like, come over. He's like, okay, let's practice. I'm like, you want me to hit you in the butt? Yeah. Uh, I hit you in the butt now. He's like, yeah, yeah. Give me a good hit. So I, I tap him on the butt with my lightsaber. He's like, harder. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I, I hit him a little bit harder and he goes harder. I'm like, dude, this is getting weird. And uh, I, I whacked him pretty hard. I actually hurt him. I, I found out later. I, I asked him after we were done shooting. He's like, did I actually hurt you? He's like, yes, don't pretty good. And, <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't, don't apologize. Don't apologize. But yeah, but that was a, that was a great time. And they, they, they edited the thing and it came out right on May the 4th. And it got, it got a lot of attention. I think it got like 100,000 views on Facebook. It got like 50,000 uh, views on uh, YouTube. And a lot of my friends, I was working the next day on something else, and a lot of my friends, my phone's blowing up. He's like, dude, I just saw you with Shaq. Oh, my God, that's crazy. Well, you know, like all these people blowing up my phone. It's like, dude, you were with Shaq, you are with Shaq, you are with Shaq. I'm like, yeah, great, great. Because usually, you know, as well as I do, usually when you work on these projects, it doesn't come out for, for months. Yeah. And, uh, but the fact that it literally hits the Internet, like, 24 hours after we shot it, it was like, whoa, holy cow. That is a really fast turnaround time. Wow. Because so, they, you know, it, it was a pretty easy shoot, and they didn't have too much uh, special effects or editing. But, I mean, it's ESPN. It's Turner Studios. I mean, um, the, those people are top-notch. So, And going from one sports icon, Shaquille O'Neal, to another sports icon, you worked on a documentary about Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yes, I did. Tell us a little bit about working on that project and give us a little bit of background on what the difference is working on like a documentary versus a feature film. Basically, the whole thing is called Ali's Comeback, the untold story. And if you're not aware of the history, uh, Muhammad Ali, he was the heavyweight champ of the world. And then uh, Vietnam, the war in Vietnam was happening and Muhammad Ali was drafted to go and fight in the war. And he, he refused because he didn't believe in the war. And because he refused to go with the draft, the whole country was split. Like half people were supporting Ali and half the country was against him. Boxing, they stripped him of his title and they banned him from boxing for life uh, just because of the politics of the thing. It was like three years, uh, something like that. It was like three years that Ali was like not boxing at all. And he was he was talking to everybody he could in the boxing commission and lawyers trying to figure out how he could come back and long long story short the documentary speaks about these uh, boxing promoters they were able to figure out he, i mean ali he was banned from all 50 states in boxing wow. you know they made sure he couldn't uh, have a comeback because of the politics of the situation and uh they some boxing promoter long story short was able to find a loophole that Ali was able to was able to box in in Atlanta, Georgia, 
for some reason he was banned on and everywhere else except Atlanta. And so they started making phone calls to make this uh, thing happen. And Muhammad Ali, he handpicked uh, this, uh, this guy called Jerry Query, who was a white guy that Ali had a lot of respect for. In the reenactments, uh, I portrayed Jerry Query. That we didn't have any reenactments of the actual fight. They showed the real footage in the documentary, but they just had the reenactments of Jerry Query when he got the phone call from Muhammad Ali uh, saying he wanted to fight him. And, you know, Query was just overwhelmed because he, you know, to him, Muhammad Ali was like royalty to him. And uh, at first he didn't want to fight Muhammad Ali because, not because of the politics, but because he was like, how in the hell can I possibly fight my hero? He's an icon to me. I look up to this guy. How could I possibly do that? And his wife actually talked him into it. And she said, you know, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to Ali because he handpicked you to be the guy he fights on his big comeback. You know, you know, it's an ultimate slap in the face to him and to yourself. You owe it to Ali and you owe it to yourself to see if you can hang with the best in the world. And so long story short, they were able to put on the fight. I think the fight took place in like the early 70s or something like that. And uh, it was a huge, huge sensation because everybody was, the whole country, the whole world was talking about, you know, oh my gosh, Muhammad Ali, he's coming back, he's coming back. All this time in retirement and, and all the politics, he's coming back and he's having this fight against Jerry Quarry and, and it was a big, big happening. And that's what the documentary is about. And uh, the director of that is a guy named Art Jones, put a lot of hard work and a lot of love into setting all these things up, you know, all the interviews with all the real people who lived the experience. He set up interviews with uh, uh, people, uh, family members of Muhammad Ali who are still alive today. And um, basically, he just needed a handful of people to shoot some reenactments for Jerry Quarry and Muhammad Ali and a couple other people. And I actually got the job for from a woman who was playing my wife, uh, my my friend uh, Julie Kendall. You know, we shot it, and they they saw my they saw my headshots, but the second they saw me in person, they were like, "Oh my God, you look just like Jerry Quarry. This is going to be great." So we shot that, and you know, a couple of years went by before anything before they were done. So I was just like, "Okay, it's just another project that I probably won't hear anything from." And but then they had their first screening. They had this big, big uh, premiere over in this. Uh, theater over in uh dunwoody i forget where it was it was somewhere near atlanta i think i think it might have been uh, dunwoody i'm not i forget but you know they had a red carpet they had photographers they all they had all, uh, a bunch of historians there they had they, they showed us the film they showed us the documentary and i was so impressed it was definitely one of the very best and well put documentaries I had ever seen art and everybody else on his crew. They did an amazing job putting this thing together. And I don't know exactly what's happening right now, but I got a phone call from art a couple of weeks ago that he said that they're on the verge of getting some pretty big distribution deals. Oh, and, wow. uh, so, uh, Ollie's comeback, the untold story probably will be coming out pretty soon. I don't know exactly where or when just yet, probably in the next year or so it'll, it'll probably be out and people will be able to see it. And, the story is amazing. You know, it's, it's a story of like, you know, Ali was standing up for his personal and religious beliefs. A lot of politics came down on him and he kind of lost everything, but he never quit. He never gave up. And, you know, the, fortunately he had a lot of people that were willing to help him along the way. 
a lot of promoters and uh, and managers that uh, believed in him, and they they fought tooth and nail to find a way to make it happen. And the whole story is kind of like Muhammad Ali, kind of like being a phoenix, you know, rising from the ashes and moving on to win the world title a couple more times, and you know, becoming the legend that we all know that he is today. So you know, even though I was a very very small part of that project, you know, it's still the second I saw the finished uh, version of the of the documentary. You know, I couldn't help but, you know, it's like, yeah, I had a small role in this thing, but it's still, it's like, this is something big. This is history. You know, this is telling the history of one of our true American icons. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very proud to, to have been a part of something like that. Yeah, I'm not even a sports fan, and I'm excited to watch it now that you've yeah. talked about it. <laughs> you talk about, like, Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson or any of those big names, you know, it, it's kind of hard not to you know, want to know what the stories are of these, of these people. Most major sport figures have some kind of trials or tribulations, but, you know, guys like Ali, you know, his comeback was truly a very special story. And when you hear it in this kind of detail, it's like, wow, that's something, that's something special. So we're going to go ahead and get things wrapped up here. But before we do, I know that while we were talking before the show, before we started recording, you had some interesting story to tell about when you had to shave your head for some projects basically i was just contacted out of the blue uh these people they i don't know how they found out about me maybe through a different casting director or an agent or something but they saw pictures of me on facebook with my with a buzz cut with it like you know very close to having my head shaved completely bald and they contacted me and they said hey we're doing this commercial and we we need to find We've been trying to find actors and models who are comfortable with shaving their head completely bare skin bald and, and nobody's willing to do it. And we saw your pictures and we were wondering if you would. And I'm like, I got a few more details and they told me what they were paying. And I was like, okay, yes, I will do that. <laughs> I've already shaved my head a number of times anyway, uh, recently due to some uh, theater and some other projects that I was working on. And uh, it was very interesting because they shot uh, basically, it was, it was I forget exactly what it was for. This was like in 2009 or, or 2010, something like that. They shot it like it was one of those 1920s uh, silent films, kind of like a Charlie Chaplin, you know, that kind of style of, of movies, you know, cool. before, they, before they had audio and they had that cheesy piano pu music playing in the background. And <clears throat> the basic concept was I was just this regular guy and I come across this... Um, beautiful woman and uh in the commercial i'm talking to her brother there was this uh, misunderstanding of what kind of men she was attracted to and i first of my character thought that uh he said that she likes bald men so <clears throat> you see me in the mirror and i'm shaving my head bearskin bald and i get a date with her and and uh, she freaks out she's like what did you do and i'm like what i was told that you like bald men and she's like no i like bold men <laughs> and then later on it's like you know i get rejected from her and it's this big sad thing it's like oh no a bald man gets rejected and then the end of the commercial you see me with my hair grew back and you see me with another beautiful girl and i have a happy ending and it's all you know hunky-dory but when i saw the finished product it was very funny and it was very cute and i i tried to reach out to the directors and producers to get a copy of it and it never happened i tried to find the commercial online it, it wasn't it was just for the internet but it was only on the internet for like five or six months, and then it was gone. And uh, believe me, I tried. I looked everywhere I could think of to find this commercial online somewhere. I could not find it. And so um, I probably wouldn't still be using it 
Maybe, maybe not, because it was so long ago. But at the very least, I'm, I'm, if I had it, I might use it to show people that I can, I, you know, how I look with a bald head. Yeah. But yeah, t- to this day, I'm still kind of bummed that I was never able to get the footage because it was pretty funny. Good stuff. And as we get wrapped up here, uh, do you have any social medias or anything that you want to plug? Uh, sure, absolutely. Um, with me, uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look up Chris Marks Actor. If you want to see some of my uh, video footage, uh, go on Google and type in uh, Chris Marks Actor Vimeo, and you can find my uh, Vimeo page. And I got like uh, 20 different uh, video clips on that website with some of my best uh, stuff. If you want to check out Hidden Assets, uh, that feature film we were talking about earlier, you can find that on Amazon or iTunes on uh, iTunes and Apple.com. And uh, like I said, Muhammad Ali, you know, you can, that'll be coming out soon. Burn Notice and Glades, you can probably find on Hulu or something like that. My episode of Burn Notice was season five, episode 16. It's called Depth Perception. All the other stuff we were talking about, you can find that on my Vimeo page. Awesome. And I know some of that's also on YouTube, too. So if you want to see the HTC commercial, the Shaq promos are on YouTube. If you want to find the Shaq video, the Shaq video is on my Vimeo as well. But on YouTube, just type in Shaq Learns the Force. It pops right up. And as far as the (laughs) HTC commercial, all you got to do is type in HTC Robert Downey Jr. And now it'll pop right up. It's like a two minute commercial. And we'll provide links for all of that stuff. But thank you again, Chris, for hanging out with us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm very honored to be the first ever two-time guest on your long list of very talented people. And next year, let's see if we can make it number three, too. Sounds good. Awesome. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. And we will see you again next week on another episode of The Above Average Joe Show. Thank you again to our special guest, Chris Marks. Be sure to check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitters, and look us up on Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. You can also check out another podcast I co-host, The Extra Unordinary, and other great media content by Moon Possum Productions at moonpossum.com. Cool.